chapter 9 and verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. The title of this message, Saved by the Blood. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And here's the key phrase. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Some time ago I came across a shocking statement having to do with the blood of Christ. It was shocking not only because of what it means, but also because of who it was that made this statement. Here's the statement, quote, well, speaking of Christ, this well-known commentator on the Bible said, quote, it was his death that was efficacious, not his blood. The shedding of blood had nothing to do with bleeding. It simply means death, violent, sacrificial death. It is not his bleeding that saves, but his dying, unquote. Well, in this message this morning, we're going to consider what God's Word says about the blood of Christ and whether that blood saves lost sinners. The first thing we shall consider is the fact that God's Word speaks frequently of Christ's blood. God's way of salvation is the blood way from Genesis to Revelation, and from the foundation of the world. Blood was first shed for sin, and in pointing to Christ's blood, when God slew some animals with which to make robes to cover the shame and nakedness of the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21. When Israel was preparing to leave Egypt on the night of the Passover, God said to them in Exodus 12, 13, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Passover lamb had to die, it's true. But the shed blood of that lamb had to be smeared on the doorpost in order for the firstborn to be spared from the angel of death. God did not tell the children of Israel to hang the dead body of the lamb on the doorpost. He told them to smear the blood of the lamb there. The blood of all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward to the blood of Jesus Christ that one day would be shed on the cross. The Old Testament uses the word blood 328 times. And many, if not most of those uses, referred to the sacrifices pointing to the death of Christ. All the animal sacrifices, there must have been hundreds of thousands of them in the Old Testament, were just types of the once for all sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness of the sinner's sins by faith in his precious blood. Leviticus 16 tells us that on the day of atonement, the high priest of Israel had to take the blood of the goat for the sins of the people and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The New Testament makes direct reference to the blood of Christ about 
40 times. When the New Testament mentions the blood of Christ, it's referring to the real, literal blood that was poured out of his body on the cross. Charles Spurgeon, in his own inimitable way, describes the bloodshedding of Christ in his sermon, The Bloodshedding. Here's what he said, quote, Mark his brow. The crimson drops of gore are rushing down his cheeks. His back is bleeding. They lift up the thongs, still dripping clouts of gore. They scourge and tear his flesh and make rivers of blood to run down his shoulders. This is the shedding of blood without which there is no remission. They nail his hands and feet to the wood. They hoist it in the air. Blood from his head, blood from his hands, blood from his feet. They pierce his side and forthwith runneth out blood and water. This is the awful shedding of blood, the terrible pouring out of blood without which for you there is no remission. Unquote. Acts 20.28 20, says that God has purchased the church with his own blood. And 1 John 1.7 calls it the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. When Christ's blood is called the blood of God and the blood of God's son like this, it does not mean that it was the blood of the Godhead. Of course, God has no blood. God is a spirit. Rather, it means that it was the blood of him who was God it's, uh, Christ's blood was the blood of a man, yet because it was the blood of a man who was also God, it is properly called then the blood of God. Let's turn to Acts 20:28 20, and read that statement. <clears throat> Acts 20 and verse 28. Paul is speaking here to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now that's talking about the blood of Christ. God, but it says the blood of God. By virtue of the union of his human nature with his divine nature in one person, his blood can probably be called the blood of God. I hope you noticed in that hymn we sang a moment ago, verse 3 of the old rugged cross, this very statement is made. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that at his death, Jesus Christ entered the holy place in heaven, not by the blood of animals, but by his own blood. And he did so once and not every year and not perpetually as was done in the Old Testament. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, 
but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And according to various verses in the book of Revelation, we find that Christ's blood is the theme of the songs in heaven. And that's what, if we're going to heaven, that's what we're going to be singing about for all eternity. The blood of Christ. Look at Revelation 5.9. Revelation, and this is just one example of several that are found in Revelation. Chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We're going to be singing songs like verse 3 of the old rugged cross there in heaven. Truly, God's word places great emphasis on the blood of Christ, judging by the frequency with which it speaks of that blood. Well, let's look next in the second place at the importance God's word gives to the blood of Christ. The word of God places supreme importance on Christ's blood. And it does so by basing every blessing that we have in regard to salvation on that blood. Did you know that? Every blessing we have in relation to salvation is based on the blood of Christ. Let's think about some of the things God's word says that we as Christians have based upon or because of the blood of Christ. First of all, the scripture says in Ephesians 1.7 that we have redemption through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1.7 speaks of Christ when it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Likewise, Hebrews 9.12 that we just read speaks of Christ when it says, by his own blood he obtained eternal redemption for us. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of redemption by blood. Second, we also have atonement by Christ's blood. It is the blood of Christ that makes atonement for our souls. The Old Testament word atone means simply to cover. And the blood of Christ is what covers our sins from the sight of a holy, sin-hating, and wrathful God. Turn to Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is a key verse of Scripture in relation to the blood of Christ. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. On the annual day of atonement, you know, they still have it, they still call it Yom Kippur, 
on the day of atonement, the high priest of Israel would sprinkle the blood of the bullock and the goat on the mercy seat and on the horns of the altar, as we read in Leviticus 16. And in doing this, would make atonement for the sins of his people. By means of a type, that blood covered the sins of God's people from, the, from his holy sight. Thirdly, propitiation is based on the blood of Christ. All of these are biblical words. All of them are uh, benefits of salvation, things relating to salvation. Propitiation speaks of, it, it simply means appeasement. A propitiation is the appeasing of God's wrath against sin and sinners by means of a sacrifice. Turn to Romans 3.25a. Just the first part of Romans 3.25. This scripture says that it is the blood of Christ that is the basis of our propitiation. Paul is speaking of Christ when he says here, Romans 3.25a, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. To the persons, to the person whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ, God is propitious. His great eternal wrath against that person's sins has been appeased. Did you know that if you're lost here today, God is angry with you every single day that goes by. And did you know that God's word says that God hates all workers of iniquity? Romans 5, I mean Psalm 5, 5 says God is angry with the wicked every day. And Psalm 7, 11 says that thou hatest all workers of iniquity. But if the blood of Christ has been applied to you through faith, then God, that God is propitious toward you. His wrath has been appeased. He no longer is angry with you. He no longer hates you. Fourthly, our reconciliation is based on the blood of Christ. Because of the fall and man's resulting sinful nature, man hates God. Man by nature is enmity with God. That means he's an enemy of God. On the other hand, the holy God is angry, as I said earlier, with the wicked every day. And the sole ground of the sinner's peace with God is the blood of Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 20. <clears throat> the sole ground of the sinner's peace with God is the blood of Jesus Christ. Having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. There's war between God and the sinner. But the blood of Christ applied to the sinner reconciles. It makes peace between the sinner and God. 
the words of an old hymn read like this, and I don't believe this is in any of our hymn books anymore. A mind at perfect peace with God, oh, what a word is this. A sinner reconciled through blood. This, this indeed is peace. Fifth, cleansing of sin is also based on and by means of the blood of Christ. When God's Word speaks of cleansing in this sense, it refers to two things. Uh, the filth of sin that is brought in our lives and the guilt of sin. And the uh, predominant thought here is cleansing from guilt for sin. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses from sin. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. First John 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. The cleansing, this cleansing by Christ's blood is also called purging in the Scriptures. In such verses as Hebrews 9.14, if you'll turn back a couple of three books to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. This cleansing is also called purging. <clears throat> How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, cleanse the guilt of your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This cleansing from the guilt of sin is also called washing in verses like Revelation 1.5. This verse speaks of Christ as Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Turn to Psalm 51 and verse 7. Psalm 51 and verse 7. David speaks of this cleansing as both purging and washing. When he prays, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, David was praying after that terrible sin of adultery that he committed and the murder that he committed along with it. He said, purge me and I shall be clean. My conscience will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, the filth of my sin." will be gone. Sinner friend here today, laboring under a load of guilt, the good news that I bring to you is that the blood of Jesus Christ has not lost one bit of its power to cleanse from sin today. Still another thing related to our salvation that's based on the blood of Christ is access to God. 
access to God. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that removes the distance and the alienation that exists between the sinner and God. The blood of Christ brings us to meet with God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13. According to Paul here in Ephesians 2, 13, it's the blood of Christ that brings us near to God. You know, there's a great distance between the sinner and God. No access to God. No, a lost sinner can't even pray to God. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh or literally made near by the blood of Christ. Turn to Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. According to this verse, it is the blood of Christ that gives us boldness to enter into God's presence. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. What gives me the right to come into the presence of God? It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sins from His holy face. Here's another old hymn. By nature and by practice far, how very far from God. Yet now by grace brought nigh to Him through faith in Jesus' blood. Seventh, our justification is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Justification is a legal term, one that's used in a court of law. What does it mean? First of all, it's the opposite of condemnation. In justification, God declares the believing sinner not guilty. And at the same time, He declares him righteous on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 5, 9. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul says here, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. An eighth blessing connected with our salvation and based on the blood of Christ is our sanctification. Bible sanctification, what does that mean? doesn't mean getting the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean living a second. Uh, uh, doesn't mean getting the second blessing. Doesn't mean living a sinless life. Bible sanctification is the setting aside of believers from the world and from sin and to God for His service, making the sanctified ones holy ones. That's what sanctified means, or separated ones. Person that's sanctified is separated. From the world and from sin. This is what God is doing in all of His people right now. He's sanctifying us. You know what I pray for when 
somebody gets cancer and they're probably going to die for it, one of the things I ask the Lord is, sanctify this person through this experience. Set him apart from all of his worldly cares and all of his uh, worldliness and separate him to yourself and grow him and make him more like Christ. Conform him to the image of Christ. And this is what God is doing in all of his people right now. And according to Hebrews 13, 12, it's the blood of Christ which sanctifies us. Let's turn to Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. These then are some of the things that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of all of these things that we have through the blood of Christ, that blood is rightly called in 1 Peter 1.19, the precious blood of Christ. In light of all the things that God's Word says that we have because of Christ's blood, it's difficult to understand how any serious student of God's Word could say that it was his death that, is, that was efficacious, not his blood. I don't understand how any serious Bible student could say that. And now let's consider the blood of Christ in Hebrews 9.22, our text. Let's turn back there to Hebrews 9.22. And this text says, Without shedding of blood is no remission. And let's begin by considering the meaning of terms in this verse. First, the word remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Literally, this term means a release, a dismissal, and it has reference to sin. Remission means basically forgiveness of sin. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word that's translated remission here in our text it's translated forgiveness in Mark 3.29 where the Lord Jesus says, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Spirit hath never forgiveness. The same word, never remission. Turn to Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Same word is translated forgiveness here. Paul is speaking of Christ. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Same Greek word is translated remission. According to the riches of his grace. Well next let's consider the term shedding of blood in Hebrews 9.22. What exactly does shedding of blood mean? The Greek word that's translated shedding here means an effusion of blood. In the Old Testament, the word shed, or the equivalent of this word, uh, sometimes is translated pour out or poured out. Uh, this is the case in Leviticus 4.7, if you'll turn to that. Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 7. 
This same word or the equivalent of it is translated poured or poured out. Chapter 4, verse 7 of Leviticus. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour, that's the same word, shed, all the blood of a bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now look at 1 Kings 18.28, which is a very graphic use of this term. 1 Kings 18, verse 28. 1 Kings 18, 28 translates this same word as gushed out. And this is talking about the false prophets in the contest on Mount Carmel with Elijah and how they became so desperate for their God to answer that they began to cut themselves. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. That's the same word that's translated shedding of blood in our text. In God's word, blood and life are identified with each other. We read Leviticus 17.11 earlier, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood that is shed or poured out or that gushes out is the symbol or visible representation of death. The blood poured out is life, the life drained away from the body. Blood shedding speaks of death. Bleeding leads to death. Part of my responsibilities as a chaplain, prison chaplain, in the Oklahoma Department of Corrections some years ago, down at Granite, Oklahoma, was to notify the next of kin when an inmate had been murdered in the prison. It was an awful thing to be called to a man's cell or out into the prison yard and find that convict lying face down in a pool of blood. I always knew that prisoner was dead. As soon as I saw how much blood had run out, forming the pool in which he was lying. The life of the flesh is in the blood. In God's scheme of salvation, another death is to stand for our death. And the expression of this is the drawing of blood from the victim. One life for another. One death for another. Lastly, in looking at our text, let's consider the whole statement that without shedding of blood is no remission. Here God's word states that the shedding of blood is essential to the forgiveness of sin. This is a dogmatic and absolute statement that without shedding of blood is no remission. Two things are prominent and closely related in this verse. Pouring out of blood and forgiveness of sin. These two things go hand in hand, and the one does not exist without the other.
No salvation is possible for any soul that rejects the bloody sacrifice of Christ. If you reject Christ's blood, you'll never be saved. In nailing this down, the writer gives us two negatives. Without shedding of blood is no remission. No exceptions are granted in this verse. It is not possible that any sin should ever be forgiven any man without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, there was no typical remission without shedding of blood. By the Old Testament blood sacrifices, God taught Israel that without shedding of Christ, uh, without the blood of Christ, His Son shed as a sacrifice. There could be no pardon of the guilt of sin. There could be no removal of its filth. There could be no removal of its punishment. Without the death of some living creature as a sacrifice, and the blood of that creature shed and then sprinkled, there could be no legal pardon of the guilt, nor any cleansing of the ceremonial filth. Neither can there be any real remission of sin without the shed blood of Christ. God's justice requires blood shedding to make sacrifice, to make satisfaction for sin. There is no satisfaction of God's justice without it. Listen, if there could be remission without the shedding of Christ's blood, then His blood would have been shed in vain. And his sacrifice would have been unnecessary. And if there could be remission without the shedding of Christ's blood, then the truth of God's word is destroyed. Without shedding of blood is no remission. This verse and the truth that it states gives us some idea of the awfulness and guilt and filth of sin that it takes the blood of him who is the Son of God to cleanse it. How awful is sin? It took the blood of Christ, the Son of God, to cleanse it. When I see in my mind the Savior's blood flowing from his wounds, then I understand something of how terrible a thing sin is. Listen, never laugh about sin. Never make a joke about sin. Let us never think lightly of sin because only the blood of Christ can remove its horrible stains. Hebrews 9.22 is the heart of the gospel of the grace of God. Well, in closing the message, let me ask some important questions concerning the matter of being saved by the blood of Christ. First of all... <clears throat> If the term blood has no real significance in relation to forgiveness of sin, then why all the emphasis on blood in the scriptures? This is the terminology of God's word. And we cannot improve on it by saying it is Christ's death that saves us and not his blood. Second, knowing the great emphasis God's word places on the blood of Christ, how can anyone say it is not the blood but the death of Christ that's important. How can anybody say that? Thirdly, God's word places great emphasis on both 
the death of Christ and the shed blood of Christ, why then should anyone play down either one of them? It's true that the term blood of Christ is speaking of his death. But this term specifies Christ's death as a bloody death. And in God's word, the shedding of blood is an essential aspect of that death. We cannot ignore or bypass the blood shedding of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is the very essence of the gospel. Truly, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And how does the blood of Jesus Christ save? That blood saves because of its infinite value. It was not the blood of a mere man but of the one who was the Son of the living God. It is the blood of Him who was Emmanuel, God with us. God manifest in the flesh. This precious blood has such value that it meets every claim of God's holiness against a sinner. And my friends, the blood of Jesus Christ has never lost its value. It can still cleanse and redeem and reconcile and justify and sanctify and all the other things God's Word says it does for sinners when they trust in that precious blood as their hope of being accepted with God. Romans 3.25 says that God has set forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. The whole infinite value of the blood of Christ passes over to the one who believes as soon as he believes. Do you believe? Will you believe today? Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the precious blood of Christ. We pray for those who do not see these blessings 